Hello and welcome to Minor X. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the most popular tabletop role-playing game of all time, Dungeons & Dragons, or D&D for short. I'm your Dungeon Master, Angelo. Your adventuring party today is Amy the Druid, Quinn the Sorcerer, and Sarah the Paladin. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Dungeons & Dragons relates to the library in two major ways. First, the library offers quite a number of resources for one to start playing D&D on their own. And second, that there are multiple upcoming D&D events being hosted here at the library, including a play session for adults and an introduction on how to play the game for teens. But before we discuss those events, I think it would be a good idea to give a quick rundown of what D&D actually is and the history of how the game came to be. Yeah, sure thing. So I read this book, academic paper, called The Evolution of Fantasy Role-Playing Games, and that's by Michael J. Tresca. Um, published in 2010, so before 5th edition, actually. Um, so I just wanted to read it to get a sense of like what the history of wargaming is, how that relates to like human culture, because it's pretty prevalent. Um, and so I found out the first or oldest known tabletop war game was called Chaturanga, and that was created about 5,000 years ago and played in the Indus River Valley in what is today known as India. So that was eventually brought to Persia in the 7th century and was adapted into the earliest form of modern chess. And then chess had a few iterations over almost a thousand years. Uh, And by the 18th century, there were much more popular, more complex versions of chess that had like 14 different piece types that had all different types of roles and a thousand squares. Um, And it wasn't until... 1798 that George Venturinus, who was, I believe, an English military officer, created the first known war game with realistic terrain. And then in 1811, that was adapted by a Prussian military officer named Air George von Reiswitz into a game that didn't have squares that you could move. So that was the first like freedom of movement tabletop wargaming game, and that was called, I'm assuming in German, Instructions for the Representation of Tactical Maneuvers in the Guise of a War Game. Uh, so you'll notice in German. I wish I could speak German, uh, but no, that's the English translation. It's they're all very long. All of the names of the games from this period, um, and so these became increasingly popular in military circles over the next century um, because the Prussians were a dominant military power, and people were like, "How do you do it?" So the French, the English. Spanish all figured out this is what the Prussians were doing. We're going to steal from them. And it created this genre of war games known as Kriegspiel, which is German for war game. And so these games introduced many of the modern elements that we see in role-playing games like D&D, such as unconstrained movement. Some of them had dice rolling. There were umpires that ruled on like the outcomes of engagements, which has evolved now into what we know as dungeon masters or game masters. But the first hobbyist war game was actually published by H.G. Wells, the famous sci-fi author, in 1913. And this one has a fun and problematic title. It's called Little Wars, oh, no. <laughs> a game for boys from 12 years of age to 150, and for that more intelligent sort of girl who likes boys' games and books. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> no. It is 1913. <laughs> I love um, that for them. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> and that game was played in a room. The whole floor was taken up by terrain. They would shoot like little wooden dowels at each other with like toy guns, and that had an umpire that would rule on like who died and whatnot. <laughs> um, so that started this like small hobbyist community around wargaming, but it wasn't until 1953 when Charles Roberts published the first cardboard wargame, so that became much more accessible to the general population. By the mid-50s, Tony Bath ran the first fantasy wargame that was set in Hyboria, which is Conan the Barbarian's um, setting, often regarded as like the first sword and sorcery uh, fantasy setting which is what D&D is now. And then in 1969, Dave Wesley ran, or moderated, I should say, a Napoleonic war game using a custom scenario, and so many people wanted to play. This is at the University of Minnesota, by the way, that he had to start assigning like specific roles to players that were watching that couldn't be involved in the game because it's based on like a two-player game called Brownstein, I think. So he started giving people roles, and then people, like, their interactions started getting out of hand, and he had to make up rules on the fly. Um, it was also the first game to use polyhedral dice, like a D20, D10, mm-hmm. D8 that we use now in D&D. And one of those players was Dave Arnson, who is one of the co-creators of D&D. Arnson began running some of his own games based on Wesley's initial Napoleonic War games. And he started incorporating elements from Lord of the Rings and Dark Shadows uh, and eventually created Blackmore, which is the first cooperative, endless progression role-playing game that we know of. So that's what D&D is and what that means is there's no, it's not player against player, it's player against situation and endless progression. You can just level up forever, essentially, and gain more experience and items and whatnot. And around the same time that Aronson was playing that Napoleonic game and developing Blackmore. Gary Gygax, who's the other co-founder of D&D, was working in the games industry. Um, He published a medieval war game called Chainmail in 1968. Um, And then in 1971, he published a fantasy supplement for Chainmail, which added elements from Lord of the Rings, such as like elves, hobbits, dragons, uh, that Arnson kind of crib fun for Blackmore, too, so they kind of knew about each other. In 1971, Gygax met Arnson at Gen Con in Lake Geneva. It was the first Gen Con, I believe. It's an early one. Oh, wow. Um, so Gygax played a demonstration of Blackmore uh, that Arnson had brought. And then after this meeting, they started talking about collaborating. They eventually... Started a publishing company called TSR that Angela will get into more in a little bit, and then published the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons uh, in 1974. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's Dang. sort of a brief history of that's wargaming. Hardcore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was very surprised to see just like the humans as a people have been doing wargaming for you know thousands of years. Go is the longest continuously <laughs> played game, and that's four thousand years old. So it's it's been part of our culture for. Well, I tend to Forever. forget that, like, so much of our games are representative of war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you don't think about Go or chess being war because they're little pieces and stuff. But obviously, games like Risk or Stratego are much more obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Quinn, real quick, I just want to know, what was the name of the book again? Um, the book was called The Evolution of Fantasy Roleplaying by Michael J. Tresca, okay. published in 2010. I want to read that. Well, it is. It's, I, it's, it's <laughs> interesting. It is, it is an academic 
paper to an extent and a lot of what I was reading were just like the first few chapters they go on to talk a lot more about like internet gaming and whatnot and how it's influenced like modern video game RPGs which I didn't get too far into because it's not super relevant to what we're talking about today but yeah it was interesting I wanted to say as a, as a follow up to that book I think uh, my recommendation would be a good one it's um, Slaying the Dragon A Secret History of Dungeons and Dragons it came out 2022 and it's by uh, Ben Riggs and it's specifically about the history of TSR from its uh, foundation by Gary Gygax. Um, and to what it. does uh, TSR mean? I think it's Tactical, tactical studies, studies Rules. Oh, yeah. see, I thought I knew it. I don't. I, don't. <laughs> I was trying to be helpful. I'm like, what's TSR? And I'm like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> TSR is not around anymore. So, well, yeah. they tried to come back pretty recently, and it, it failed spectacularly. Uh, That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Yeah, oh my. T- t- TSR was uh, acquired by uh, Wizard of the Coast. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I basically went into slaying the dragon with like no pre knowledge of like anything outside of Gary Gygax. I know him as the creator of D anD. d and even that is kind of like, uh, well, is he? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did steal yeah. a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> my favorite part of the book was reading about the various uh, people involved in the evolution of D anD. d And definitely, my favorite person I read about was uh, this uh, Canadian librarian named Ed Greenwood. Basically, in like uh, 75 to 80, um, around that time, TSR, they were looking for uh, new settings to put D&D in. And uh, before that, they had like Greyhawk, but they wanted a completely new setting to build their like third edition, basically, on. They notice uh, one employee in particular, Jeff Grubb, notice all this stuff coming from like a single person who was submitting like... Uh, um, his own custom elements of his campaign to like a D and D official magazine, um, being like, "Look at this monster I made, and look at this like uh, town I designed." And Jeff Grubb was like, "Oh, this is all from like one person. I wonder if he has like an entire world already made." Uh, so he called up this guy, and Greenwood was like, "Oh, yes. Do you want to like uh, see my uh, world I've been working on?" And this guy has been working on this setting since 1967, oh uh, almost 20 years. Uh, before this even took place, it even predates D and D. The fa- yeah, because D and D was founded in nineteen seventy. The first edition yeah. of D and D didn't come out until seventy four. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, they started writing it around seventy two. Well, when did those um, computer games where you could? They were basically just like oh, code. No, those were the eighties. Yeah. Those were the eighties, yeah. so they were like right behind that, uh, but they yeah. weren't like the start of it. Well, okay, uh, let, me, let me get to the plot. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, getting distracted. Um, Grubb basically asked Greenwood, "Like, do you have a name for this uh, setting that you design?" He goes, "Oh, Forgotten Realms." Uh, oh, and, <laughs> there we go. And uh, Grubb was like, oh, do you want us to buy it off of you? And Greenwood was like, oh, I thought you already had the rights to this because like, I've been submitting it like in a magazine and you've been publishing it in yeah, the magazines. Um, and Grubb was like, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. Uh, just like uh, fly to uh, Lake Geneva where the headquarters is and we'll talk to the executives and convince them to buy the rights of Forgotten Realms off of you. I just found it crazy that uh, Forgotten Realms like was not a thing in D and D initially, and yeah. it was like someone's yeah. personal setting. It was like his fanfic yeah. about yeah, fantasy literally. stuff, <laughs> which I, I love. His little guys and, and uh, characters. Yeah. <laughs> I, I looked up uh, Greenwood uh, nowadays, and he's still alive. And in his retirement, he's been running a YouTube channel, which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, cool. And uh, it doesn't get a lot of views. Um, but he did, he did comment. Uh, his, I think his most popular video is him saying like uh, his thoughts on the Honor Among Thieves movie, because mm-hmm. it does take place in mm-hmm. his setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, oh, my favorite part about it is that Greenwood looks exactly like a wizard. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. We delve deep into the history, but uh, let's talk about the game itself and let's explain basically like give an overall synopsis of the game. Yeah. Okay. So where do you want to begin? Probably with the Dungeon Master, I'd say. Yeah. So in D&D, there's a person called the Dungeon Master. They're the one who runs the game. I like to say they're the rules lawyer, but they're not. Especially when I run d and I'm pretty loosey-goosey. But they're the one who's catering the experience to the players to have fun. That's kind of like the primary goal. Then you have the players. Usually when I try to run D&D, I try to cap it to like, six or eight but i've definitely played with groups that are larger than that it's not as fun after that point it's, it's not it's chaos <laughs> even, pure chaos even six to eight can be pretty long. it can yeah. be a lot mm-hmm. yeah and each of these people play a different race and class and a lot of these take from traditional fantasy settings so like we mentioned you have your elves instead of hobbits you have halflings you can have anything from orcs to centaurs you can be a hobgoblin really with especially with the newer material You can be anything. And then there are a few core classes that then have specialities. So usually it's in set in a high fantasy setting. You're a group of adventurers. Um, The core setting is in the Forgotten Realm still on the continent of Faerun. And you have little adventures there. But the greatest thing about D&D is that you can go anywhere. You can go to space. You can go to hell. To hell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Done that at least twice. (laughs) Yeah. You can go underground. You can fly in the sky. You can go in the ocean. Um, Real life. Chicago. Yeah. Was it yours, Angelo, that was in Chicago? Oh, I had one. Yeah. Yeah. You can take the core elements of D&D and make it into anything. So that's where the world really opens up. And all you really need to play is either, if you're playing in person, your character sheet, like maybe a pencil, if you're a notes taker. Dice, D20 at least, and then maybe a whole set of dice. Or just an iPad, because I know a lot of the stuff is digital now. It's been a lot of... um, That is the greatest gut It's easier, (laughs) and it's a a big help, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the digital tools, all you really need is a device that connects to the internet, whether that's your phone, a laptop, or an iPad, which makes things so much easier, because you don't have to do math. You don't have to track all of your stuff. It does it for you, and it just makes it a little bit more fun. For me, personally. It's like Barbies for adults. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, here's your little guy. Create a little guy. Give him some powers. Give him some personality and say, hey, boop, you're in the little world that I made. Uh, Do we want to talk about the characters that we are currently playing or have played in the past? (gasps) That'd be fun. Yeah. Sarah, you want to go first? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go first. I played what I called the Pigeon Paladin. Her name was Philomena Featherfife, and she was an Aarakocra slash what we call like a bird person in the D&D realm. And she was a paladin. And paladins are kind of like, I think of them as like the beefy, like do-gooders of the D&D world. Like they just have a lot of strength, but they also still have some like magic and mana. And they have like, I think like clerics, they do have like a, a patron that they get their powers from or like that they... I don't know, channel the energy or the idea of like, there's, you can be a paladin of love. Not in this necessary, like, not in the campaign classic as we know it, but like if you made a homebrew or something. But um, yeah, she started off as just a random bird, and by the end of the campaign, she became like Bird Jesus. Oh, it, beautiful. I know. It was, there was like the whole, like, that whole picture where like 
I think Mary's carrying Jesus or something. It was like that, but in front of like a cosmic scene. It was like (laughs) intense. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm running two campaigns right now. I'll talk about my Tortle Warlock. Um, Tortle. (laughs) Yeah, so Tortle is like a turtle man race. They can breathe underwater, kind of, or they can hold their breath for a while. They can like pull into their shell. They're kind of a funny class. I named him Anad the Carver, which is supposed to be a nod to Dana Carvey, um, because a nod is Dana backwards, and Dana Carvey was in the movie Master of Disguise, where he played a turtle man. Oh my gosh. Am I turtly enough for the turtle (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I was going to have it as like a big reveal, but I ended up telling my roommate, and he spoiled it for me. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Um, So he is a Archfey warlock, so that is like kind of inverse paladin, I guess you could say, where a paladin gets their power from a god, a warlock gets their power from some sort of like demon or devil or fiend or something. So mine is an like Archfey. Yeah, like Cthulhu, yeah. an eldritch being. Um, so an Archfey is like a high member of a fey court, which is the fey is like a setting within... D&D, where a bunch of, like, weird magical stuff goes on. And, and so it's, like, a big fairy, essentially. Um, yeah, my bird person was just from, like, a bird place. <laughs> didn't have any of this extra stuff. Just the bird person. <laughs> and, and then I've got a Pact of the Chain subclass. So I've got a familiar that listens to me, and his name is, is Gilbert Goldfree. Because oh, he talks oh, like... So it's a parrot? It's, it's, it's a parrot, because my background is being a pirate. Um, okay. As a bird person, I take offense to that. <laughs> he hates me. It's so funny. I don't know why my, my cousin who DMs that decided to make my familiar hate me. <laughs> but he just plays it, like, very reluctant. So, yeah, I expect him out to be really good at disguising and deception and stuff. Um, yeah, I like playing him. Mm-hmm. I'm in two campaigns right now, but since you introduced me as the druid, I'll talk about my druid. <laughs> um, I'm in, playing in a Ravenloft campaign right now. Uh, Ravenloft is a setting in D&D that's kind of the grim, dark horror setting. Ooh. It's ruled by this... Baron von Strahd, who's like an ancient vampire. So it's very creepy. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> high horror elements. Everything is terrible. Um, and a lot of people who play it, you're like brought in from Faerun to this misty town. So Talise is a drow. He loves that there's no sunlight because he can actually see. Um, drow are a race of elves in the D&D universe that live underground. So they hate sunlight. So he's loving that there's no sun. Um, he's kind of haughty and, uh, not a very nice person, but his druid subclass is the circle of stars. So he has his sailor moon transformation moment and then, uh, beats you up with star powers. Yeah. He's your sassy baby boy. Yeah. He's very sassy. He loves fashion and he hates everyone. Ken. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) My last campaign, I played a human, a warrior. So... What was their name? (laughs) Tell me more, Angela. He was white and male. (laughs) 
<laughs> interesting. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, uh, the, the two most interesting things about him, I guess, is that he carried a lute around and played it at inconvenient times, and he also spoke Beholder, which my DM didn't Ooh. know. So oh. uh, one time the DM had a Beholder. Uh, as an enemy, and then I started saying stuff, and I was like, "Oh, I actually speak that." <laughs> yeah, I love when you pick a random language that person, the DM off. forgets about. Yeah, what's the like the real life equivalent of that? Like, oh, I speak shark. Like, yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact that I played like the most boring choice ever, character creation was definitely my favorite aspect of D anD D, and I, I loved uh, seeing everyone else's character and uh, helping them through the process. Uh, I, I do remember when I played, and this was you know, years ago, 4.5, I think is when it was, um, I used like an online service to uh, create my character, and I can't remember what it was called, but nowadays, I guess it's D&D Beyond. There's D&D Beyond, mm-hmm. and then I think the one that I'm always using to do the math for me, it's like Roll20, tw- it's not Roll20, roll 20. 20. it's not Roll20? I don't think it's Roll20, it's mm. like a... It looks like something out of the 90s, not at all. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. like, just like, <laughs> I'm a webpage, ta yeah. <laughs> No frills, just yeah. boxes, yeah. yeah. So I probably should have remembered that for this, but hey we'll oh, find it later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's tons of resources online to help you get started. Oh, yeah. uh, not just character creation, but campaign creation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Wizards of the Coast has their own material. Mm-hmm. They have the Dungeon Master's Guidebook and the Character Creation Guidebook. And so much, so much of this is free, by the way. Like, yeah. you can either get it on sale, you can get it for free. Yeah. Like, it's not constantly at the the highest price it can no, go. No, yeah. mm-hmm. the basic rules are a free PDF that you can just like, okay. download. Oh, um, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, very nice. Yeah, do you want me to talk about the OGL, like what that kind of oh, entails? Uh, real quick, I just want to yeah. mention that, uh, like all these guidebooks and, and like Monster Manual, uh, they're all also available at the library, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Make sure to get them all. <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's a lot. <laughs> I, I, I went yeah. up to the section today, 793.93. Uh, it's like two shelves worth of just D&D guidebooks up there. Ooh, and really? that's not including what Teen owns. Mm-hmm. True, oh, yeah. we've got some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like at this point they put out a book every quarter, and now that they're bringing in some of the like more popular D and D producers, like Critical Role, and they're publishing their own books and they're oh, yeah. bringing that yeah. into Wizards, um, there's so much material. To yeah, play the, from. the campaign that I play with my warlock in is actually in Exandria, mm-hmm. the which is the Critical Role setting. So that's all like homebrew. It's like kind of with Forgotten Realms instead mm-hmm. of. It's just Matt Mercer being a little nerd, <laughs> yeah. making up his own civil wars and continents and things like that. I mean, at this point, I don't think I've ever used a pre-written campaign before. I just kind of, like, putz around and make up my own stuff, and then, like... Which, I, I, that's the part I enjoy about I, it. I enjoy yeah. it, and, like, I could just use the stats of a pre-made monster, but stick a whole new character on yeah. top of it. Yeah. Like One of my yeah. favorite things about D&D is when, like, a bit becomes canon. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think we were in a dungeon, and we were, like, stumped and trying to figure out a way to get out of the room we were in. And I was like, I'm just going to talk to the door. Uh, and then I rolled like really high on talking to the door and then I could talk to do- like all of the doors in the dungeon oh my god and they're like oh you know Terry yeah he's from like two rooms over uh, and then later oh on I think so we'll do like I'm gonna try to talk to the door like as like a bit and sometimes they'll answer so that's one of my favorite bits in, about playing in my TV. last campaign my mm-hmm. bird person Philomena found a random egg on the side of the road and I decided it was my child <laughs> and uh, then it eventually hatched and it was just like this toddler lizard kid Aww. and um, 
what did I name? Oh, God, how could I forget my son's name? <laughs> he basically just go around and go, Chosen! <laughs> like, like, Mother! Chosen! <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's like the best part of D&D. The okay. little spoofy memes. Of, yeah. Like, yeah, and I feel like it can be intimidating for some people to start because it does seem so improv heavy. And then you have properties like, like Critical Role or The Adventure Zone or Dimension 20 where it is people with a comedy background and they're very Real funny actors and yeah. very good. Yeah. But if you're playing with a group, especially with people that you feel comfortable with, that comes so naturally and yeah. you can build these really beautiful stories together. Yeah. Or just really silly Really ones. emotional stories too. Like I've cried. Yeah, I've cried. Like a hundred percent. How did everyone first start playing D&D? Not the most interesting story. My uh, my friends and I were uh, at someone's house, and we were looking through their board game collection, and we saw that they had a, a starter kit for I think three point five. Oh. Mm. Um, and this kit was really cool. It had like um, a pre made uh, board and three scenarios that got progressively harder um, and pre made characters. While there was like no customization in it, uh, it was a great like introduction to how to play, mm-hmm. uh, which is personally how I would recommend someone go and play with pre-built for like a level one to level three or five campaign. And actually, we do have uh, something like that here. It's called the uh, Essentials Kit, and it has all that. It has um, all the enemies you'll fight in that campaign. Uh, with a dungeon master's script, like what he'll read to you and like what he'll decide on. I think the essentials kit, the campaign in it, is probably like eight hours long. Yeah, and so. available for nine ninety nine. Get it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an extended infomercial. Uh, <laughs> um, God, what were we saying? What we were saying? What, how yeah, did how you did start? start? Oh, how did we start? Yeah. yeah. So I had a friend who was really into D anD D when we were in college. And she did campaigns back home, but we have never played D&D as a group because we were in music school and stuff like that. So she eventually had us make characters, and I was like a druid human pothead eventually. <laughs> it was weird. Um, and we just kind of like did a really basic, I think it was supposed to be a campaign. It never got that far which was fine because it was the start of D and D in general, but and that's most D and D. Yeah, it's yeah. it's hard to get to the end. I've only had one campaign absolutely completed from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Everything else falls apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I've always been like a fantasy book guy, but I didn't really play D and D up until about like last year. I guess. Oh, that's recent. Yeah. So it it was kind of interesting. So I've been watching Dimension Twenty, which is, um, and I listened to all. of like the adventure zone and that was kind of my introduction to like how D&D is played and then I watched Dimension 20 for like a year year and a half and never really found a group to play with so I was like I'm gonna just DM a game on my own so I bought all of the like handbooks and whatnot and the starter set and then I put together like a campaign not really just like the first like few sessions with my family i think we only ended up running one of them because my niece was like six months old at the time and <laughs> my brother and sister-in-law did not have the time to uh play D regularly um so yeah my first actual like play session i dm'd uh and it did not go super great uh but i've dm'd more since then so and then i actually started playing when my cousin was in town for the holidays and I, t- I was like, you like D&D? Have you ever watched Dimension 20? And he was like, 
oh, yeah, I also DM, and I've been DMing for a decade. And I was like, I did not know that. So he was gracious enough because my brother also wanted to play to set up a game for us, and that's been going on since last February. It's been a weekly game with, you know, interruptions here and there. And then I also play an online game. There are professional DMs, GMs that you can pay, like, a weekly rate to run games for you. So I play a, a spell jammer campaign. Which is the space one, right? Yeah, that's the space one. So we've got like a living ship that's like a tree. It's got like a treant in it that its body is the ship. And then we've been, for the last like, I don't know, like 10 sessions or so, we've been like plane hopping looking for like MacGuffins for gods. And we're (laughs) going to fight this like mind flare ancient red space dragon that's been taken over by like a mother brain uh, or something. (laughs) Yeah. So that one, those ones get really kooky because you go from like hell to heaven to the fey realm to like the elemental plane of water. Like it's just, you're all over the place, but it's very fun. Where a kid can be a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> my, my story's sad, but I oh, promise no. I started on third edition, I think, but I went to like a friend of a friend's house for my first game, and I was so excited. I made like a half elf ranger, and I'm like, you know, I'm biracial, he's biracial, we'll be biracial oh. together. And then the person running the game didn't want a girl to play, and he killed my character immediately. <gasps> and I'm like, well, what? fine. That's I'm going to go awful. play Vampire the Masquerade for the next five years. <laughs> so I was just Dang. a little edgelord vampire for a while. Um, but I eventually got back to D&D, um, starting with, like, 3.5, and then I played a little bit of 4th, and now we're in 5th edition, and now I run games. So trauma has been healed. It's fine. <laughs> God bless. But, you know. Can we all DM, or is it just a few of us? I've DM'd. You've DM'd? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think we all have. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It is a lot of fun. I honestly, given like I have enough time to prep, enjoy DMing more than playing a lot of times. Me too. Yeah, Me just because I like, I like world building and I like kind of going off of like improving with people and yeah. stuff and that mm-hmm. and you get to do that a lot more as the DM and I like reveals reveals I get to be so a lot of different <laughs> characters yeah, yeah. and uh, other people don't get to talk over me because I can do whatever the hell I want because I'm the DM yeah <laughs> it's a creative and especially like I love world building and writing but mm. I'm not a writer per se and this is a nice way to like write on rails almost um mm. i'm running a game right now in the candle keep setting which is the like canonical big library of D. of course i did that um and using those scenarios and then just building off of it is just a really fun way to exercise my creative muscles and try out some new things and mm. do silly voices <laughs> the best part torture <laughs> people with mysteries they'll never solve the mystery of faith <laughs> Now, uh, I feel like we should probably hop into um, the events that we're going to uh, be hosting here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first one I should probably talk about is the upcoming one, uh, Leap Day uh, D&D, uh, February 29th, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, for adults. And if you two wanted to take over and explain kind of that, because uh, Amy and Quinn, it is yeah. your event. Quinn, it was your idea first. Yeah. Where you came up with the, the building scenario. I was looking at the calendar for Times Week because I, I came to you because you have experience running events at the library. And this is going to be my first event at the library. So that's Ooh. super exciting. And I was looking at the calendar and saw Leap Day was on a Thursday. We both had work on that Thursday. And I was like, that sounds like a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's Leap Day themed. It is 
kind of a niche reference for the theming, but <laughs> I think it'll be funny no matter who you are. Sure. Uh, and we're running two separate events. So I'll talk a little bit about mine and then Amy, if you want to talk yeah. about So my event is for more experienced players. Um, it's going to be level eight to nine. Uh, I haven't really honed in, but I'm building level nine characters. So expect to play that because that's you unlock some cool stuff at level nine. And it is going to be set in the Forgotten Realms and the Underdark, which is like the underground Ooh. society. <laughs> it's uh, using in this village of Quotoans, which are a really fun D&D race because they're like race trait that I've always wanted to play around with is if enough of them believe in a god, then it comes into existence. Um, so we're going to be going to a Quotone village on the day they are celebrating Leap Day, which means a different thing because it's fantasy and they don't have <laughs> human years. Yeah, I think I actually looked up the Forgotten Realms calendar to figure out what Leap Day is in it, and I put it in my notes but I'm like, no one's going to know what this is except for me and you, probably. So I'll just scratch it out. I'm running the beginner-friendly game. So everyone's level one. Everyone's starting out. And I set my game in Baldur's Gate, which is one of the big cities in the D&D universe. And it's real? It's a real city, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the game, the video game is like... Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wow, that took me a while. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. I thought they just made it up for the game. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, this is the... Th- we'll talk about the video okay. game later. <laughs> I'm <Sorry>. ready. <laughs> Continue. Uh, the party is a group of Harper agents, which are a secret society in the D&D universe that do good. Um, if you watch the D&D movie, there's Harper agents in that. Um, and they're infiltrating a party to learn about, like, why all these children have gone missing in Baldur's Gate and its connection to this weird leap day party that they're having. So it'll be a nice, like, intro if you've never played D&D before or if it's been a while to try out the mechanics, learn 5th edition, have some, like, roleplay elements, solve a little mystery, do a little fighting. I love mysteries. Yeah, (laughs) I think it'll be fun. And uh, what's, like, the player count? What's the limit for, like, how many patrons can sign up? Twelve. Twelve. I think, yeah, six per event. So get in there fast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you want to talk about the next event? Yeah. Is that into the planning phase? Yeah, I mean, we pretty much have a plan. I'm putting together the actual, like, I guess you would say, like, um, syllabus for it. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, It's, I get lesson plan, maybe. But it's intro to D&D for teens. What that is going to be is we're going to walk through what D&D is, how to play, and we're going to do that through creating a character on D&D Beyond. So if you come in and you're a teen, you'll get to create your own character. We're trying to get some dice for you, um, and maybe we'll raffle off an essentials kit or a starter set. And then we're going to, you know, kind of walk through what a game looks like. We're going to try out a combat, see what that's like. And then, yeah, from there we can do the next thing, which is I want to do a teen one-shot or maybe have a campaign going. Who knows? It kind of depends on interest. Um, But, yeah, what's really nice is I just got approval for a uh, library DM account with source books. So we'll be able to share that with the patrons, um, and that's on D&D Beyond. So 
If you're listening and you want to come to either of the sessions, it would help if you don't already to make a D&D Beyond account. It's really mm-hmm. quick. Uh, you just need your email. And, yeah, that'll just kind of streamline the process. Cool. Yeah. And this is Sarah, your teen librarian. <laughs> to all of you teens who didn't come to my programs, you better come to their program. <laughs> I will hunt you down. <laughs> I was gonna add. I, 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 I was gonna say, uh, would, would it be all right for me to suggest that if it's popular, you'd have more D and D programs? Oh, one hundred percent. My goal: I would like to do one a quarter, if possible. Okay. Um, and then, if it is popular enough, once a month would be awesome. That would but, be great. Yeah. it's just all staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all Adults, staff and family. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. So we can run more games. Please come. <laughs> we want to play these games. Yeah, yeah. and it's free. You don't know, have. Free. Yeah, we'll be free. Flavor. <laughs> Absolutely a, a great way to introduce yourself to the game. And I was thinking like in recent time I noticed that D D has been like the media a lot and there's been people that I've talked to who I would not associate with D D at all, but because of their just like having run into like the movie, for example or playing uh, Baldur's Gate, they've uh, had more interest in actually trying the game out. So I actually think one of the best introductions to the game is um, to try one of the spin-off materials, uh, play like a video game set in the D&D universe or mm-hmm. watch the, uh, the movie. And I just want to know if uh, either of you have played the game or watched the movie and what your thoughts on it were. Yes to all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have it's no life. <laughs> Yeah, I played the game and seen the movie. I think Amy has played much more of the game than I have. I've only got about 20 hours in it. Oh, yeah, unfortunately. I've played way too much of the game. And it's incredible. It's so good. The game like is Skyrim. really good. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah. it, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. And I played a lot of Baldur's Gate 2, and this is a big improvement from there, not only graphics-wise, but gameplay-wise. Also, you know, as we all get older, it's harder to find time to actually play D&D to schedule time to get everyone it's at someone's worst. house or even on your computer, it's hard. So Baldur's Gate 3 is a nice way to experience D&D alone mm-hmm. <laughs> with your friends, Gail and Asterian and Will and all of those beautiful guys and still like roll dice and have some RP elements and build a character and everything in Baldur's Gate 3 is from the Wizards of the Coast game. With like a few yeah. exceptions, there's it's not as robust as the materials that they have now, but it's the, you can't make your bird paladin, but you can make a paladin. <laughs> um, that's yep. who I'm playing now, a tiefling paladin of the Archfey, which is really fun. Well, I'm invested in like the whole cats and like the talking to cats bit. Yes, like, you can talk yeah. to cats. Cat named like, Emo crazy. or something. Mm-hmm. Like, there is so much stuff you can do that is just you would not expect it from any other RPGs when yeah. you're looking at games you know that are like popular mass market RPGs maybe like Assassin's Creed or something I know it's been a while since Skyrim but like there's a lot of stuff you can do but it's on rails and Baldur's Gate 3 was like the first game where I felt like the rails were kind of gone you can do whatever you want Mm -hmm. Um, you can like yeah talk to animals I was like pretty early on in the game there's like some cows and I was talking to one of them (laughs) I love those cows yeah the cows are great but one of them isn't really a cow he's the strange cow yeah Yeah. he's the strange cow because I play a drow druid in my campaign, so because yeah, I wanted ten times faster, drow, druid, drow, druid, drow, druid. Because um, I wanted to do wild shape, so you can wild shape uh. into like a cat or a 
wolf, I think, and yeah. a, a bear. We're all just going to be because um, of the cats. <laughs> but, there, but I was in this one dungeon, because this is the crazy thing about it, because it's always surprising. I was in a dungeon, there was like a hole, and it was like, you can't fit in it. So I wild shaped into a cat, and then I could fit in it. Like, there's a bunch of stuff like that so where cool. the game doesn't explicitly tell you what the mechanics are. Um, you just kind of like, I think I can do this, and then more often than not, you can do it, which is great. Games are so cool. Yeah. <laughs> And it's amazing that you and I can play the game at the same time mm-hmm. and have completely different experiences mm-hmm. because of the race we picked, the class we picked, and yeah. like just the character that we're playing. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention is that uh, while like the game is getting a physical edition, and hopefully the library gets copies, uh, I think we are. But the game is also uh, rated M, uh, oh. which uh, like yes. uh, <laughs> I wonder how many people associate like D and D with uh, you know, like ages like thirteen and up. Because it is like a very universal thing. Uh, you can make something in it that's like a Saturday morning cartoon for like little children. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can make a, a rated M, like very adult story. Like Dragon Age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Gore everywhere. Oh, man. Other things everywhere. Um, but Relationships. It, uh, I, I, I did find it funny that something like uh, that is very like adult oriented. Baldur's Gate 3 came out the same year as uh, the very f- almost family friendly, not too family friendly, but PG 13. Um, movie honor among thieves mm-hmm. right yeah, uh-huh. kind of, yeah kind of shows you the uh the versatility of the forgotten realms mm-hmm. yeah. would we consider tears of the kingdom like D esque i can see that yeah yeah it's its own thing but it's man i love tears like, of the kingdom what a good game the foundation's similar mm-hmm. i think a lot of modern rpgs i think because D was created before personal computers and before like home gaming really became a thing a lot of RPGs are based around similar mechanics to D&D at the very least, and I think you can see that. In video games, in eras dependent on the edition of D&D that was yeah. out, so it is incredibly influential, I think, to the entire gaming space, especially single-player games. Um, there's always like Elden Ring, God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, all of these use like stat increases, level yeah. ups, mm-hmm. crafting, specialization, um, specialization, oh, Mass Effect, even Mass yeah. Effect, you get that role playing, like, mm-hmm. the sci fi and fantasy. They're siblings, basically, yeah. gen- sibling genres because mm-hmm. they're kind of more or less the same, just in different environments. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah. there, there are like a bunch of uh, that's why D is so cool because it's so modular and you mm-hmm. can do. There's a lot of homebrew stuff that's already published. Like, there's independent publishers that are doing really cool things, different tabletop RPGs. There are, like, hard sci-fi setting D&D type stuff that I really want to try out. Star Trek? I yeah. I want to play that at some point. Yeah. There was a really good, if, shout out to Dimension 20. That's my favorite live play D&D show. It's college humor. They, like, all comedians, all improv people, very funny. But they did one called a Starstruck Odyssey that uses, yeah. like, that's one of my favorite seasons. And it was based off of the GM's, like, mother's work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which oh, I thought like was so universe. special. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very funny. I love them because they always have kind of, like, a weird setting. Right now they're doing Fantasy High, which is, like, a yeah. John <laughs> Hughes. Yeah, they're doing the third season of Fantasy High. They've done... Like Game of Thrones, but it's Candyland. They've done. I like the Sleeping City, which was a more like urban fantasy Mm -hmm. setting, but with D and D rules. So it's like there was a druid, but he's a rat, and so all of his like (laughs) druid things are like around the New York sewer system, (laughs) which is so fun. 
Um, I'm walking here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But there's so much you can do. And, like, I found, especially in the community, it's, like, way more inclusive now. Like, Mm -hmm. you can be who you want to be. And especially for, like, younger people and older people, you can try out some things that maybe you're not brave enough to try out yourself. And, like, see how it fits. D&D was one of the things that helped me accept my queerness. Like, I, this was, like, before I came out to even myself. Like, I was, like, able to explore having, like, a, a cartoon girlfriend for my character. And it was just, like you know, I like this. This is nice. (laughs) Yeah. I'm okay with this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're seeing that a lot in the spinoff media too. Like not only the movies and the video games, but also like there's books out there. There's works inspired by D&D. It's kind of every piece of media that you can think of, you can experience (laughs) (laughs) D&D. One thing I wanted to say uh, in relation to what you just said, Sarah, was that one of my favorite parts in the book, Slaying the Dragon, uh, is uh, how, like, Gary Gygax and other employees at TSR and then Wizard of the Coast, they did mention that uh, they loved getting letters from people who, Ooh. like, uh, basically said what you said. Yeah. Like, they were, like, you know, suffering from depression or, or something like that, or, like, uh, they didn't know what to do with their lives, but then they were able to act out, like, their essentially dream in the board game form, and they were like, oh, this is, like, what I want to do. Obviously not yeah. be a, a warrior, but be, like... Uh, like, if you want to play, like, a charismatic character, then be more of a, like, a performer. Uh, exactly. I mean, I was such a traumatized, neurospicy child. <laughs> and, like, I was trying to overcome my social traumas. And, like, D&D 100% gave me the platform to figure out, like, okay, how do I be charismatic and a good leader? And, like, how do I communicate better? And, like... How do I get over my, like, relationship anxiety and all that fun stuff? It really is like a playground to experience things that maybe you are too afraid or too unsure or, like, you haven't had the chance to experience, like, IRL. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really just like a Barbie sandbox. <laughs> yeah, truly. I love this for us. <laughs> uh, now, uh, as the final section before we close up the podcast episode, I thought we would go around and just mention probably our favorite uh, moment we've ever had in a D&D mm-hmm. game. There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished up an epic level campaign. So um, mm. D&D, most of the time, ends at level 20. Um, so I've been in this... I joined pretty late, but I think the campaign went on for like four years. And we wrapped it up in November. And so we had a sleepover in my friend's house. Uh, classic. <laughs> classic. Um, by the way, they're all in their 40s, and I'm not, but like I'm kind of in between everyone. Um, so we had a sleepover, we played for like two days, and we like wrapped up everyone's storyline, and I was like very emotionally invested in my character. And she had like the best ending ever. She became like the Lady of Pain, which is like this canonical character in the Ooh. D&D universe who just, like, walks around and is, like, a badass. She got her girlfriend back from the dead. She has a dog and a pseudo-dragon. They just chill and hang out in the house. And I'm like, I win. I win, Dean. Basically, Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I'm a badass. I got my girlfriend back. I have a dog. That's it. It was very fun. Yeah. Yeah, so I've only been playing D&D for, like, about a year now. Um, so my list of moments might be shorter, but we had this great moment where we were trying to ingratiate ourselves with this, like, band of ne'er-do-well, like, low-crime dudes that were connected to a higher-crime thing that we're trying to get ourselves into. And they were smuggling boxes into this, like, magic college in Rexentrum, which is a city in the Critical Role setting, Alexandria. And so we were, like 
on the caravan duty. It's night. The guards stop us. They're like, let's check your stuff, which is classic uh, guard stuff to check your things. Yeah. (laughs) My cousin is playing a Hidozi, which is a, like, monkey man. We were all variants of, like, half animals, so I think I was a turtle. My brother right now is playing a furbolg, which is like a, I don't know if you've read Wheel of Time, it's like an ogier. It's kind of like a furry forest guy. Like bovine yeah. kind of, but Almost not. Almost Bigfoot, mm-hmm. but not quite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got Lizolfo, I believe, or just like a lizard folk guy. We've got the Hidozi that's like half monkey and then a half orc and a tiefling. We called ourselves the Manimals. The Manimals. <laughs> uh, so that was fun. But so my cousin, who's the Hidozi, is carrying one of the boxes, and we don't know what's in them. So my brother was like, I'm going to try and like kind of trip the Hidozi and see how the like guys react that know what's in the boxes. So he steps on his tail and the Hidozi is a paladin and is like race wise very dexterous. So my brother didn't think he would trip and then my cousin rolled a net one <laughs> and he <No>. he drops <laughs> the box and then my other cousin who's DMing rolled a luck check to see what would happen when the box hit the floor? And he also rolled a one. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Out of a hundred, I think he rolled, I think, like a one or a two. <gasps> and if it was above 20, it would have been fine. But it was a bomb. And we rolled a, the lowest tier luck check. <laughs> oh, so that set God. off a chain reaction for all of the other bombs that were there. Uh, so it was like this chain reaction explosion that I think TPK'd us Almost. Oh, no. Uh, except for a rogue who had, like... Evasion? Yeah, they had, like, oh. uncanny dodge ready mm-hmm. or something. And TPK, for people who don't know what D&D is, <laughs> mm-hmm. means... Total player kill, I think, or team. Oof. Is it total player kill? Total party kill. Yeah, total yeah. party kill. That's what it is. Um, and just so happened, and I still don't know if this was, like pulling our butts out of the fire or plan. <laughs> uh, one of the people from the crime we were meeting with was actually undercover themselves and was a level 20 cleric. So they just... Oh, left. how nice of them. <laughs> yeah. And my cousin, the DM, was just like, you guys just ruined six months of writing and planning that I had already. <laughs> but that's the fun of DMing. Yeah, that's the fun of D&D. And my brother was like, the look on his face, he was like horrified. He's like, did I just TPK us for a bit? Uh, uh, but that's D&D for you. And mm-hmm. that was super fun. That's why, as a DM, I never write that far. I, I <laughs> There's write. no point. There's literally no point. Yeah. Someone always goes off the map, and they're like, la, 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 I want to go talk to that guy. And it's just... And you have to have that guy ready. Guy. Yeah. Like, he's, he's not even important. And you're like, great. Oh, what's he going to be? And like, Yeah. Yeah. But I guess my favorite D&D moment, or at least like setting slash scenario, was when our party... Basically, like, you know how the Bermuda Triangle is just, like, in this isolated part of the ocean, and, like, it's kind of, like, spooky disappearances happening, but um, our group basically ends up in a Bermuda Triangle-esque kind of area, and it's basically a bunch of ghost pirate ships fused together in, like, a floating island of just, like, haunted spookery Mm -hmm. um, in one ship what, what do you call it? The, the lower decks of the ship? Yeah. There, it was like, you know how in Alien, there's like these pod things like on the, around the floor. It was kind of like that, except they were just kind of like 
ghouls hunched over in like an egg shape just waiting for any moment for anyone to strike and my one teammate like rolled like a nat 20 so they just like walked through the whole thing all the way to the ghost captain <laughs> didn't even like trigger any of them and then got the ghost captain on their side and i was like oh my god okay well that was you know we didn't have to fight it wasn't anybody. a big deal <laughs> um and at one point after we've like hopped ships we got to like this part that's kind of like garbagey and this creature that's made up of like faces and limbs and like intestines just like rises up out of the trash water and it's like hello i need to add you to my collection <laughs> and i just like the actual like chills that like you got like trying to talk to this thing and then having it eventually just try and like take you and add you to its itself and maybe even the ship like was the ship part of its collection too or is it just people like I don't even know. <laughs> oh, so good. Like, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I think I drew it. Because that's, like, another thing about D&D is just, like, the art scene really benefits from D&D. Because oh, yeah. you can, like, commission artists to draw your characters. You can draw your own characters. You can draw, like, the scenes that you experience. And people make comics, like, the podcast Adventure Zone. Is yeah. It, it's Adventure Zone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say Adventure Time, but... Um, that's a different comic. That's totally different. <laughs> um, it's like a published comic now. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, we've got a whole bunch of the copies at the library, too. So I think there's four volumes? At least oh. four. Mm. Or the fourth one's coming out this year? Something is yeah. Like that. Is it the first run of Adventure Zone? Like, the first Yeah, it's Balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the best one. Oh, so I tried listening to my... And I was like, the McElroys get a little bit, like, worn. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, shots fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Travis. <laughs> yeah, Travis. Anyways, yeah. Oh, well, that sounds really fun. No, you're not, you're more, yeah, more or less. I, yeah. We survived. Okay. We didn't die. But it, I just think about it so often. I don't remember much about the campaign because it was like <laughs> years ago, but I remember oh, okay. the, the creepy collector. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, my favorite uh, moment uh, in D&D was when I died. <laughs> I, it was, uh, I, I had a character who had... Um, I think his ability was called, like, Speed of Thought. He was able to move before, uh, like, an actual, even initiative role was taken. He was able to move wherever he wanted. Uh, It was, like, kind of a long hallway. Uh, There was, like, skeletons at the end of it. And then the DM was like, okay, roll for initiative. And then I was like, well, hold on, I get to move. So my party's, like, at the end of the hallway, and the skeletons are at the other end of the hallway. So I, I move my character, like, really far up the hallway near the skeletons. But then the, the DM stops me. And he goes, okay, uh, you are now stuck in a hidden gelatinous blob uh, <laughs> that you, yeah, you didn't, like, check for, basically. So uh, the whole scenario, I was dissolving in a gelatinous blob as my uh, okay. uh, party was trying to save me, kill the skeletons and the other in the blob, uh, and they didn't succeed. <gasps> no! Uh, so uh, they, they took my character sheet and ripped it up. <laughs> Yeah. I heard this thing recently about D D skeletons. How can they like see and move and hear and stuff and and magic. The, one, the whole <laughs> magic, but yeah. the one theory was that they can communicate with your skeleton. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they can just sense bones. Hate that. Yeah. Well, I, they've got those devices like that you put on the top of your head so you can hear based off of vibrations. True. Yeah. So like why wouldn't it work? Yeah, I think they called it skelepathy. Skelepathy! <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I have to say, as the dungeon master, I think it is uh, 
It's pretty late. Uh, it's six o'clock in the morning. Somehow we've been playing all night. <laughs> we're, we're we get to level up, right? Oh, uh, at the end yeah, of this? Yeah. Are we doing milestone or experience? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're at a rest point. We got to save our progress. All right. Um, <laughs> but real quick before we go, uh, any closing remarks you wanted to mention? I've dropped us down in the desert. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Um, play D and D. It's super okay. fun. Come yeah. to our program, yeah. mm-hmm. please, on Leap Day, which is February 29th, which yeah. is a Thursday. But how are you usually do that, that day from a doesn't desert? Exist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with D and D Beyond, we can play from wherever. Yeah, oh, oh, true. true. Mm-hmm. I played <laughs> in a campaign yeah. in Japan D&D while everyone was here. And really, yeah. D&D yeah. cool. in D and D. I rolled to connect to Wi-Fi in the desert. You're also mad all right. Starlink satellite, please. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this episode of Minor X. Uh, once again, to reiterate, uh, check out some of the D&D material at the library if you're interested in playing the game. And look forward to any other D&D-related events we plan on hosting in the near future. Uh, until next time, uh, may all your adventures be full of wonder and uh, excitement. <laughs>